Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, we have 3, 2, one, Go with Cosmo Macero, an interview with Jeff Lawrence, co-founder of NECAN, the New England Cannabis Convention. And in two minutes with Tom this week, we're talking about Washington, D.C. leadership and how it seems to be coming more from the House these days. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, local cable access television stations may be in financial jeopardy because of possible new rules from the FCC that would reduce cable revenues for municipalities. We'll discuss. And... Our social media team of Shakir Gregory and Ashley Lockin discuss fines Google faces from the European Union for alleged antitrust violations. Finally, it's Betomania Part 2, as Texas political darling Beto O'Rourke swings through New Hampshire and other hotspots on the early presidential campaign trail. But Democrats, once again, are throwing rocks at their own candidate. Joining me here on 321 Go is... Cayenne Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Cayenne, is it Beto? Is it Beto? Is it is it Beto? I don't. I, I'm reading an article about it, about all the ways that it's not. It's not Beto or Beto or Beto. It's Beto. It's not Beto. It's Beto. Beto. I believe. Like yes. the Pearl Jam song, "Find Me a Beto Man." Well, that's better man. I know. All right. But I appreciate the, the, the reference. I know you do. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. All right, Cayenne, the Federal Communications Commission is considering a measure that would reduce fees that municipalities, cities, and towns charge cable providers for the right to run wires along public rights of way. Guess what? Revenue from those fees make up local cable access television, right? They Government, our public peg access, channels. our peg channels. I mean, you love the local cable access channel. You love the stuff they got on there. I mean, that's how Wayne's World was cooked up by Saturday Night Live. It's true. But re, uh, every community's got to... And they serve a, a vital mission, Oh, they do. Uh, just the just government access alone is critical. But I got to tell you, in my community, I know, and in many others, lots of really interesting, kind of fun, exciting, local, homegrown programming. Yeah. Training programs for students, for teenagers, for adults. They give you access to all the equipment. It's one of the best resources for a city and town and a community now at serious financial risk or potentially because of these FCC rules. So it's the FCC rules, um, but also even before this, and we've worked with these channels, so I've got a little bit of background information. Um, They've really struggled to stay relevant because they haven't been broadcast in high definition yeah um electronic electronic programming guides so like when you go and you're looking at what's on all it says is local cable access it doesn't tell you like local high school game or you know local town here i think that's something that they ought to be that they should resolve they have been trying the the high def (laughs) i feel like hey what do you want it's cable access i mean i I can but their equipment they have all like really invested in this equipment to film in in high definition and to do all these things and they're not being given high definition 
Telecasting. Telecasting. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a, that's a problem. So they're they're struggling, and these are they are they're vital resources. That tra- you talk about transparency in local government. Oh yeah. Um, town hearings, town meetings, things that most people don't get to, but might chime. You know, you don't need in. to be a shut-in to watch the selectmen's meeting. It's actually very important. No, and if you care about what's happening in your town, and you don't, you know, maybe you don't want to go Tuesday at seven or whenever it you is. Got, you got cooking shows. You got local musicians. You got people doing podcasts. Where I live, my town, they've got a great podcast studio, all, and, and, and they, they take public access seriously. Yes. It's there for everyone to come down and learn. And they trained. want people to come in. A, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Our, uh, in high school, we had our television class did a show. It was called School Days. Yep. And it was produced by the high school, but it was put on the local cable channel. And it was, you know, everyone's way to get on TV. And people tuned into that. And it was funny and quirky. And um, But it, it's it's the FCC is one part of it. And that's certainly, it's not good for them. But um, they're struggling to survive on a lot of fronts. Yeah. And they, they're they so important and in ways that people don't even think about. I you agree. talked about training and resources. Yeah. That's a huge part I, of what th- they do. Th- this is a little, this is a little bit of a, of a podcast infomercial, I guess, for cable access but it's a worthy it's a worthy one because it's a great resource and uh we'll be keeping an eye on this yeah and I, I feel we'll come back to this topic in the future and maybe we can figure out a way to have a little segment around some of the best in uh, in, in public access television and there's a lot of it there a lot sure of great is. stuff happening all right thanks All right, up next, Smart Tech Kids talking about smart tech stuff. Shakir Gregory and Ashley Locke and our digital social media team of wizards are going to talk about Google and some antitrust trouble they're in with the European Union. Here it is. I'm Shakir. And I'm Ashley. And we're here to talk about one of the hottest stories in digital right now. Um, yesterday, Google, it was, it's being reported that Google was fined another $1.7 billion by the European Union for abusive uh, publisher contracts through their AdSense pr- uh, platform. This is the latest in a series of stories where Silicon Valley tech companies are in hot water with regulators internationally for things like the proliferation of fake news, for strange practices regarding privacy and personal information, and more. Yeah, and um, on that... There's a dispute right now going on with Facebook and Elizabeth Warren. Basically, um, Facebook confirmed that it had briefly removed three ads sponsored by Warren's presidential campaign that violated policies against use of their corporate logo. Um, Facebook states in their advertising policy to ban the use of the lowercase f or the Facebook logo in place of the word Facebook. So basically, her campaign featured three ads that that featured a lowercase f in a text bubble as well as symbols referring to Amazon and Google. So she's sort of in mm-hmm. hot water right now for for doing that. I think and this is all incredibly awkward because those ads were taken down and those ads themselves were calling for the breakup of large tech companies like Facebook, Amazon and Google. So it's a little strange that Facebook ended up taking down an ad criticizing Facebook. Obviously, their their explanation and their statement have been provided, but Elizabeth Warren used that opportunity to further criticize Facebook for what she feels is overly central, pow- overly centralized power within the tech industry and um, very shady enforcement of their standards. So, 
I don't know. I think there, that one thing that we're going to all have to watch is the, the coming of, I'd say, U.S. regulations of tech companies and social media in particular. I think that there are a lot of stories. I was reading one today in The Atlantic about conspiracy theories that are being yeah. uh, popularized and spread on these platforms without right. much oversight. There is the QAnon uh, deep state conspiracy theory. There's an article in The Atlantic today about how there are incredibly popular Instagram pages posting all about that content and young and impressionable people are being fed into this uh, conspiratorial, I guess, system. Yeah, and this feels like such a small situation. Like, why are, when, why are they worrying about this so much when these extremist conspiracy theories are on there? They're lingering. I think that they should definitely be concerned about the conspiracy theories and a lot of the quote-unquote fake news that is being uh, pushed right now. But it's going to be interesting to see what the U.S. decides to do or if there's a political will right now to regulate social media and you know what specific packages that might contain. I know that there are three presidential candidates, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, and as mentioned earlier, Elizabeth Warren, who have all basically talked about limiting the power of Silicon Valley and limiting the influence of tech companies over political discourse, but you know, also communication in general. So there are things on the table right now, ranging from standardized practices and regulations, um, making sure that you know they quote unquote play by the rules like other publishing companies, and full scale breaking up of these companies. So I feel like we're in a very uh, interesting time right now because we don't really know what's going to come down. Yep, and it should be interesting to watch. Yep. All right, Kyan, let's talk about Beto O'Rourke. So the Texas congressman, a former congressman, ran against Ted Cruz for the Senate, probably should have won that campaign, uh, um, sort of lit the political world, uh, uh, you know, uh, a glow about his, uh, um, the excitement that he that he generated, uh, and is now trying to carry that over to a presidential campaign. He's up in New Hampshire, he's all over the place, uh, and there's, there's Beto mania too, but, and we've seen this with other Democrats, but... Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of concern about him as, and his seriousness as a candidate and his substance and whether it's all sort of marketing and flash. Uh, there's been a, I'll go through these in a moment. There's been a series of articles that have just uh, really beat the crap out of the guy. But in terms of substance, um, tell me about that a little bit because I know you try to explore his, his platform for this very, this very broadcast so, and you had some trouble. So, um... I decided that, and it was actually a couple couple of days ago, um, not even for this, just in general. I'm like, there's all this fuss over this person. He's generating big crowds. Um, I saw a tweet that he really likes to stand on tables and countertops or something. Um, but I was like, what are these people really excited about? And I went to his website, and I can donate, I can shop, and I can volunteer to organize. But there is nothing on his website about who he is, about his policies, about what he's, where he stands on any number of issues. And I was having this conversation with a colleague here in the office, and she was like, well, maybe his, you know, maybe his website's just not up and completely cooked yet. And I was like, well, when you launch a presidential campaign, your website should be ready to go with all of the information about who you are and what you believe and what your policies are. Because when you launch is when people are going to go to your website. How does he know I'm going to come back and try and find out? Yeah. That really bothers me. <laughs> 
just from a logistical maybe perspective. Maybe he just hasn't got around. Uh, website. Yeah, maybe I haven't coming figured soon. Out. Like, My, have you? Do you I not sta- know? Coming soon. What I stand yeah. for. Do you not know what you what your policies are yet? Like it's what you're campaigning on? This it's is a problem. Not, it's not a good PR. Look. I, and as far as Battlemania too, I mean, the, the media coverage has been amazing. Here's some headlines: the unbearable male privilege of Beto O'Rourke. That's the Daily Beast. He voted for Republican legislation, Wall Street Journal. He put his adolescent fantasies into print, the resurgent. He's a wealthy dilettante, the National Review called him that. The New Republic, an empty shell. And uh, the USA Today called him a teenage hacker. And then The Guardian comes back with a master class in male entitlement. So for a guy who's lighting the world on fire, he's getting beat up in the press, at least uh, at least right now. But that's part of the process. Well, it's part of the process. It's also that we are now dealing with presidential campaigns that are going to look very different than they've probably ever looked before oh, yeah. after Trump. I mean, it, it just is they what it is. To. And look it's- at what happened to him. He had throngs of people showing up at his rallies, but the press wasn't kind to him. Everybody who, you know, kind of felt like they knew better or were more educated on the process or more involved were sort of saying, this guy's not a real candidate. He can't win. Well, he won. Um, And here we are. So he's got this fan base. I think everybody's wondering, what are they fans of is sort of the bigger question right now. Um, And then there's, I think, some of that anger of saying, who are you to run for president right now? So they're blaming his white male entitlement. Um, I don't know if that's fair or not. He's done all of this very unorthodox. He kind of took a break and he went and blogged and road tripped around the country. Yeah. You know, he's 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 doing it the better way. Um, and it's way too guy, soon to tell you know as to whether guy, or not that's going to be good. Guy likes to eat meals in his car. I give him credit for that. Yeah, I, th- I, I guess he comes in on a soul. van. Yeah. He was Facebook living because he was late. Um He's going to bring some interesting, uh, some interesting dynamics and a different, I think, a different tone than we've seen. Um, and it's too soon to tell if what it's going to do. Yeah. Quite All right. We'll keep an eye on it. We will. That's for sure. Thanks, Cayenne. All right. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Three, Two, One, Go. Our program is recorded in Studio One O A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room, at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's it for 321 Go. Now an interview with Jeff Lawrence talking the New England Cannabis Convention this weekend. All right, March 22nd through March 24th at the Heinz Convention Center in the Back Bay. It's the New England Cannabis Convention 2019. That's NECAN 2019. Joining us here, Jeff Lawrence, co-founder of the New England Cannabis Convention. Jeff, great to have you here. You're, this is your Fifth. Fifth year. Fifth year. I knew it. I knew I had it right. Fifth year of NECAN. NECAN 2019 is going to be your biggest show ever. Uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Cosmo. Appreciate uh, you having me in here. Terrific. Great to have you. So let's talk about NECAN. Last year, um, and we spent uh, a fair amount of time here at OA on Air uh, visiting the convention and, and covering it from that perspective. Um, at the time, your biggest show ever. Uh, at the time, had grown incredibly in terms of exhibitors and attendees and speakers and programming. Uh, and we were sort of on the doorstep of the advent of adult use recreational uh, uh, cannabis retail facilities, but but it hadn't yet happened. Well, here we are, March 2019, 
and and we've crossed that threshold. So that feature of the industry now exists in Massachusetts, um, and that seems like a really good entry point for what's going to be different, bigger, better uh, about NECAN this year, at least because of that and for other reasons. Well, that is uh, absolutely true. Um, while medical marijuana and 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 you know the activist side is still first and foremost for us, uh, the advent of recreational use, adult use in Massachusetts, is is really a game changer for us uh, at at NECAN and and our Boston convention. Uh, what that does mean is that some of the business track components and and a lot of our speakers are going to be uh, geared a little bit more towards some of that recreational component. Um, again, we're going to have uh, in incredible uh, you know tracks focused specifically on medical marijuana and and activists and 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 you know really what has become of a lot of the hard work that a lot of people did over the last 10 to 15 years and finally has come to fruition but um, you're gonna see different vendors and, and and hear different speakers that are going to be focused a little bit more just on recreational so that's an exciting component. Uh, another thing that's new this year is our New England Cannabis Community Awards, which will take place on Friday night. And this was an opportunity for us to really give back and thank the community that, that made all of this happen. Um, there's a heavy emphasis, again, on activism and, and, and the people that have really been instrumental in terms of not only changing the law, but also creating the regulations that were you know, finally seen rolled out in Massachusetts. Um, but there is also a business component, and, and we want to recognize those that, you know, in our opinion, and, and we believe a lot of the cannabis community, have, have done things the right way. And, and are in the process of either rolling out or will be rolling out soon, um, you know, businesses that are, you know, not only locally owned, but are going to be focused on, you know, not only proper testing, but uh, being able to deliver a, a quality product, a safe product, um, and one that, uh, you know, consumers, uh, adult consumers will be able to enjoy. So that's really exciting. You know, the programming has expanded to three full days. That That's a, a, a big part of, you know, the so growth this year. this is your first three-day show? Well, last year, and, and I believe the year before, we did have some Friday programming, but it was very separate um, yeah. from, from what was taking place on Saturday and Sunday. This year, it's a little bit more integrated across the three days. So that's really exciting. And, and that was important because as attendance has grown and, you know, I don't know if we'll double year over year again this year as we've wow. done every year but uh, we believe we're going to come pretty close to it and uh, as far as vendors and, and, and speakers it's it's definitely grown substantially. You've got this you've had a great partnership with the Heinz for, for a number of years but at what point are you at risk of outgrowing that? There are certainly facilities in Boston that can accommodate particularly the convention center in South Boston, but do you still have room to grow in the Heinz? We absolutely have room to grow in the Heinz. Uh, you know, they've been a great partner. Uh, they've been a, a, a really important supporter as, uh, you know, other convention halls in and around Boston have made the decision not to have cannabis conventions. So it's it's really nice to have their support behind us. And, and there is, you know, room to grow and, and an opportunity to continue to expand in the Heinz. It's going to take some creativity. Um, but in the end, it isn't for us necessarily about just continually being a bigger convention, but we want to make sure that we're the best convention. So I think that's going to be an important part of our, our growth over the next few years is to really identify what are the key components that the consumers and the 
business uh, individuals who are attending our conventions, um, you know, want to want to receive from us in terms of programming and, and attendees and, and, and vendors. So, you know, that that part of the growth is, is definitely more important for us. All right, we're talking to Jeff Lawrence, co-founder of NECAN, the New England Cannabis Convention. Jeff, any industry that grows at a rapid pace toward maturity or, or integration into an economy um, ultimately creates one or more associations and organizations that are designed to bring the industry together, to advocate on behalf of it, to look out for its interests, all those things, professional development and business growth. What's the sort of the state of uh, the quality of the the status of associations and organizations representing broadly different industry players in the Massachusetts cannabis business? Well, you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, the professional business associations are an, an important component to to any industry, and especially one that's growing as fast and as substantial as as the cannabis industry is. You know, there are several that are based in Massachusetts and, and throughout New England. And, and, you know, we believe that while they're still in their infancy, they are providing some value and, and support for, for their industry as a whole. Um, with respect to our role in that and NECAN, we see ourselves, while not as an organization, a, a gathering place for this industry and a, and a place where this industry can grow together as well. So, you know, while we wholeheartedly support those industries, um, we do kind of treat try to stay neutral, um, and, and and that really comes across in, in how we approach NECAN as well. And we want to just, again, provide an opportunity for the industry to gather and grow and come together um, at the convention. So, you know, we are part and parcel to to, to this industry growing and, and those associations. Um, you know, time will tell if one rises above the other, but we believe that, you know, they have the best interests of the industry at, at heart and, and will continue to provide some, some value to the industry. All right, Jeff, I know that from perspective of growing the industry, uh, institutionally you feel that competition is good, more players are better, uh, everyone's boat rises at the same time, all that's good. But I've seen, and I know you're experiencing, competition within even um, uh, the trade show market, and the, con- the convention market, and other players in Massachusetts. Um, what does that mean for NECAN in terms of your business model and competition and and just how you react to that? Um, or, do you even, or do you even think about that much at all? Well, you know, our focus is really on the New England Cannabis Convention. Um, so while there have been new uh, trade shows and, and competition coming into the Boston market, there have also been uh, some of those national players uh, leaving the market. And, you know, we believe that, again, competition is good and, and, and you know, we attend any of the conventions that, that, you know, come into the market that aren't ours uh, to learn and to grow and to also, you know, meet the, the movers and shakers at these other conventions. Um, but, uh, you know, we're still the only locally owned and largest not only in Boston, but but throughout New England. And, and so it's important for us to stay focused there. Now, that being said, as the markets mature nationally, 
You know, NECAN currently has eight conventions around the country, including two on the West Coast, one in Reno, Nevada, and another in Salt Lake City. And we're also looking at new markets in the Mid-Atlantic. We announced New Jersey, which is going to be at Atlantic City uh, later this year. And uh, we've got a couple of other exciting announcements. So, you know, even though our hub and our home is, is, is Boston, we're also expanding and, and looking to go into other markets. What we do pay close attention to, though, is are there already established conventions in those markets? If there are, uh, we're really not interested in competing. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense, especially as this industry is growing so fast and, and, and changing so quickly, almost on a daily basis, um, you know, to kind of cut the pie in half, it, 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 it doesn't really make sense. So whenever we can, we work with some of these other national organizations that are, are putting on trade shows and conventions around the country to try to establish, you know, new markets that, that we can go into and that they can go into and hopefully in the end, you know, as new markets come online, we'll all be able to, to kind of, you know, split that up nationally. But, you know, our focus will always be first and foremost on New England. Um, and and that we're very confident in, in terms of our, our position. And, and, and again, while we welcome new uh, players and, and trade shows competing with us, um, we're pretty confident in our model and, and, and our brand and, and you know, the established uh, history that we have here, uh, not only in Massachusetts, but also throughout New England. Excellent. Well, it's going to be a great show. Um, New England Cannabis Convention 2019, March 22nd through 24th at the Heinz Convention Center. We'll be there OA on air at Canna Castro, along with a bunch of others, providing coverage, creating content for our listeners. Um, we've been talking to Jeff Lawrence from NECAN, co-founder. Jeff, thanks so much. Good luck with this year's show. Thank you so much. And just a quick reminder, you can purchase tickets online in advance of the show at NECAN, that's N-E-C-A-N-N.com, or you can purchase tickets day of. Uh, if you purchase online, it just kind of expedites your entrance. However, if you uh, forget or just want to make a last-minute decision and come on down, we more than welcome you, and we'll be able to take care of you at the door. Excellent. All right, Jeff, thanks. Thank you. Thanks to Jeff for joining us. And now, two minutes with Tom. Hello, Tom. Away on air. Hi, Kyan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Welcome back to Two Minutes with You. Has <laughs> it, it ever actually been two minutes? I don't think so. Yeah. The the, the producer director over here and to, to my my left or right is shaking his head no, it's like five or six. But. You're only in trouble when he starts doing this <laughs> and waving his hands, which I don't think he's done to you yet. I think he knows better. Right, Brooke? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, um, Nancy we thought, Pelosi? We thought we'd take a couple minutes. Nancy Pelosi, House leadership, and just sort of the tone in D.C. right now. You know, normally we look to the President of the United States uh, to be a leader. And not, you know, some would say maybe not doing that so much uh, for quite some time now. And also, especially this week, kind of had some very interesting uh, comments, John McCain and others. Um, but Nancy Pelosi and the House really kind of keep bringing things back to... Nancy, um, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, uh, has been um, a, a lifelong friend of the O'Neill family. Uh, she served with my dad. My father knew her dad when he was the mayor of Baltimore. Um, so the family ties go way back. I, I've been saying to people for the longest while, even though she comes from California and represents 
a very highly progressive district in, in San Francisco. Uh, she's, she's really closer to moderate in tone and philosophy than people know. And, and I think that's the underpinning and the platform for which she can provide real leadership. Um, it, it's a generational pull for Nancy Pelosi. I mean, her, her grandfather and her father and her brother have been in political office. Um, so she's, she's, quite, she, she's quite well-rounded about politics and the genu- genuine art of understanding the process of, of government and politics and making things move along and progress. Um, I, I think she's been so good, frankly, that she not only put some of the young, more, more liberal folks coming into the Congress for the first time kind of back, settled them down a little bit, and, and became the speaker one more time. And, and in doing so, I think she showed President Trump, you know, what a real leader can do when you get both sides, not only Republicans working with Democrats, but the many parties we have under the Democratic umbrella working and talking together and, make, and making, making Washington work. Um, I think she's been terrific. I think she has, you know, a, a real obstacle in front of her with some of the more, more liberal folks coming into Congress for the first time getting them not to change their philosophy, but to tone it down and to get to the work of the day because what they're talking about oftentimes is just 2% of what makes the flow of Washington's process work. And, uh, you know, really people have to get to the the bread and butter issues to make the economy continue to tick, making sure people, you know, have an opportunity to to become educated, be healthy, and find work. So what do you think we're going to see from her next in the House? I think that you'll be seeing uh, work progressing on things like infrastructure, education, energy, health care. I, I think in a, in a highly constructive fashion, trying to work with as many Republicans as she can, number one. Number two, I think she's going to hold back any talk about impeachment of the president because I really believe in her heart of hearts. They're not prepared to go there. Uh, and they don't want to. They don't want to whipsaw the American public around in, in an emotional frenzy. That doesn't make any sense. I, I think what she wants to do is just wait for the Mueller report to come out. I think she wants to see some of the findings that the the committee on judiciary has um, uh, with with you know with that chairman Jerry uh, Nadler from New York and and his great leadership. I, I think she's waiting for their findings to come through before she works or moves forward to to take on Donald Trump and his presidency. I think she wants to work with him for the most part right now. Mm. Well, thanks, Tom. You're welcome. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the Boston area this weekend, NECAN is taking place Friday through Sunday at the Heinz Convention Center. And you can go to NECAN, that's N-E-C-A-N-N dot com for more information. But before you do that, don't forget to subscribe to OA on Air on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever your favorite listening platform is. You can also get more OA on Air at our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.